thinking about the ways that technology can have the most impact to, again, I go back to the mission, empower you know, every student on the planet to achieve more and across generations. The world has never been changing more rapidly, dislocating the ways we work, learn, and live. On the Learning Future podcast, we discuss the knowledge, skills, and dispositions we all need for our learning future, exploring insights with world-class educators, researchers, policymakers, and leaders from across industries and across the world. Hi, today we're speaking with Barbara Hodzafel, and she's the General Manager of Microsoft Education at Microsoft Corporation. She has more than 20 years of experience working in business, between businesses, with marketing, driving growth, igniting innovation, enabling scale. She's incubated and scaled businesses from really small, kind of innovative and agile startups all the way up to you know, global, multi-billion dollar enterprises. She specializes in a range of different strategies, which we'll be exploring a bit today. The thing that we're most interested in is ultimately the role that she's playing in trying to catalyze change in education. She has an MBA from the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan, and of course she is a fellow of the Salzburg Global Session here in Salzburg. Thank you so much for joining us, Barbara. Thank you so much for having me. So maybe just take us through why you care about education at all. It almost has a personal mission that drives you, but also now how you can influence that through your work. Sure, absolutely. Um, on, on the personal side, um, Education uh, was an area that was uh, highly prioritized in um, my in the family that I was fortunate to grow up in, where um, my parents um, made um, you know various sacrifices um, since they were children in World War II, and their educational journey was impacted by that. And so, out of their own experience, um, they always prioritized education for my brother and I. So. Um, I was very fortunate in the educational journey I've had, um, being able to go to Michigan and uh, attend that. That was also my first experience, um, sort of really living outside of my native uh, country of Germany. And so um, education has been an area that um, I just have a deep personal interest in. Uh, I'm also the mother of a nine-year-old. And uh, so there's a personal connection there as well. And um, related uh, in, in a third element is I've been involved with the Anita Borg Institute for Women in Technology. And so looking at how we can foster uh, women's careers in, in the technology field, um, obviously that has a component of education because you see a disproportionate um, amount and a portion of girls dropping out of STEM-related areas. So those are a couple of strands that uh, come together for me in this in this role. And then, of course, looking at kind of what's the role that technology can play uh, in that educational journey as we move forward. Yeah, fantastic. And it seems as if you found a wonderful way to align some of those passions with the work that you do now through through Microsoft, of course. Give us a sense of what, what a, a large organization like Microsoft is trying to do now. Obviously, you know, it, it was seen as a technology company once upon a time. You know, how is that evolving and, and how are you trying to support schools and systems really to transform? Yeah, no, absolutely. So basically our work in education at Microsoft really goes back to the very heart of the company's mission. Um, so Microsoft's mission is to uh, empower every person and organization on the planet to achieve more. And when you translate that, um, every person in an organization that at some point starts with a student, a learner, uh, be it in K through 12, be it in higher education or lifelong learning. And um, so that's why we've articulated our mission 
in education as empowering every student and learner on the planet to achieve more. And, um, and then when you sort of you know, peel that onion, um, there, there's a lot of different things to do to also understand and articulate what is the role that, you, that we think technology could and should have. And uh, that is very much the role in our view of an enabler um, a, a set of tools, um, physical or f purely digital, that unlock potential that was previously not there. It could be the potential in a learner, it could be the potential in a classroom, the potential in school or an entire system, because technology allows you to do things um, at scale that might not be possible otherwise. At this seminar, the focus has been social emotional learning. We've heard from a range of different experts on this from all over the world. What's, what's your view around this idea of achieving more? Of course, what we know about achievement now is that social and emotional skills or competencies or 21st century skills or soft skills and you know, all the different names that kind of, kind of try, to, try to codify what these dispositions and skills might be, that ultimately is one of the drivers of achievement and performance. So what's your view kind of on the, the role that social and emotional learning is playing in the overall kind of educational ecosystem. Yeah, it's it's one of those areas that I think in the and everybody can put a different time scale on it, but um, let's just say over the past um, two decades have uh, been forced too far into the background, uh, where there's been almost an over pivot on the uh, on standardization on uh, teaching, you know, purely focusing on you know the hard skills, the academics, you know, whatever label you want to put on it. And what's uh, been forced to the background is. The, the, the connective tissue um, that holds these things together and that are much more about the student or learner as a human being and how do you interact with others and how do you manage yourself? How can you um, have a way to collaborate with others? And this is uh, something that we also found in the research that we did around the class of 2030 to say um, not only is it you know, good, whatever, whatever that define, however that is defined for any human being to be able to interact with others in a sort of sensible way. Um, but if you then also look at um, the, the the employment side of it, um, you know, if if you look at what are the jobs that are going to be uh, important as we move forward and as automation takes over routine and repetitive tasks, what you find is that what's going to be needed is on the one side a deeper set of cognitive skills, but coupled very strongly and complemented very strongly with the social emotional skills, because the future generations will have to solve problems that are uh, much more global, much more connected uh, in nature than previous generations might have been exposed to. And so that's why what we've heard in our work is that um, the majority of uh, jobs that are going to be important in the future will explicitly require some of those social emotional skills. And so the challenge that's related to that is that um, I think there's a better definition there about STEM skills or math skills or computer science skills. It's much more coded, um, pun somewhat intended, and uh, defined as opposed to the social emotional skills. And um, I think a lot of that is still evolving or re-evolving in terms of what do we actually mean by that? Um, how do we define it? How is it being 
incorporate it into the educational journey? How do, how do we measure it? Um, how do we know that we're helping the kids? And, um, and I think especially in social emotional skills, there is a much stronger cultural overlay than, let's say, for example, to say, here are the math skills that somebody needs to have. Yeah, I think. Um, of course, being working globally, I mean, there's a, a significant influence that you can play. Um, Take us through a little bit more of this class of 2030 research that you've been doing, because one of the things I'm curious about is seeing organizations start to play an increasing role in actually pursuing kind of the knowledge and the thought leadership in this space, and Microsoft, I think, is doing that. Yes, because we, uh, our approach to this, as I said earlier, is very much we're looking at technology as an enabler. Um, technology is not a goal in and of itself, in, in any industry, uh, irrespective if you look at financial services or retail or education. Um, Technology is there and is, is an enabler. And so we wanted to think through what are actually things that we should be thinking of enabling. Um, what can we say about where the journey will be going? And what made it very real for us, and which is why we called it the class of 2030, is that these are, this is not an abstract concept. These are today's first graders. They're real children. They're sitting in today's classrooms. But over the next 12 years, the world's going to change quite significantly. And um, so what are we actually preparing them for um, in the educational journey? And therefore, what is the role that technology needs to play underneath that? And so that, that was the trigger for the work. And um, then we worked with you know, experts in the field. We fielded some of our own research in the US, Canada, the UK, and uh, Singapore, and we've since also completed the, the data um, in Germany and in Mexico. So we're looking at this as a, you know, so filling this out on a more global level to see what are some of the themes that we're seeing? What are, what are some of the top concerns of the teachers? What are some of the top concerns of the students? And how do these things align or not? And what was fascinating to see just at the highest level is that um, students put social-emotional skills into their top um, five priorities and um, versus it was on a lower priority for the teachers. Um, so, so there's tension there. Um, there's also tension in the sense of how much do the students think that they are receiving feedback on their social emotional skills. Um, you know, it's very, quite straightforward to give feedback on math, um, just as a comparison, but how do you give a kid feedback on, on social emotional skills? And um, and so, versus the students said, we're actually not receiving a lot of feedback yeah. in this area. So there's lots of tensions in this topic, um, which is always an opportunity to help drive clarity. Um, and uh, what we found is that a lot of educators feel, uh, on the one side, um, understand that this is something that is important. But in a lot of places in the world, the curricula are so stringent and um, scripted that there is very little room for any sort of, okay, let me try this or let me try that to incorporate something new. And uh, so those kinds of things really help us because especially when you then think about how can we, at the most basic level, help teachers free up some time, right? Because, I mean, teachers do an extraordinary job with a very large workload and a huge time commitment. And I, I tip my hat to any of them. Um, and how do we help them free up some of that really valuable time 
and uh, have have technology take over some of the routine tasks um, and free up some of that time that they can personalize the learning more, that they can engage with the students in a more relationship type of way. And that's where I think a lot of the goodness happens also around social emotional learning because it's a sort of you know innate human um, capacity. And um, so those are just some of the things that we're looking at. Um, and then, of course, to take it a step fur further in terms of how, what can technology contribute to help uh, teachers read uh, certain signals earlier? How can technology help provide more transparency across the student body? How can it help at a system level um, to then help drive uh, important change and enable important change? Fascinating. Mm, Take us to a couple of those examples, because of course, as, a, as an educator, um, I often think about the time that's almost wasted in classrooms, and it's sometimes wasted through miscommunication, or it's, it seems paperwork that doesn't seem to be actually that valuable in terms of a formative sense around your own teaching methodology or pedagogy, for example. Um, what kind of tools or examples are you seeing in some of the schools that you know, you're supporting, or systems you're supporting, where actually it's freeing up the time to do some of that deep work, you're talking about yeah. the deep cognitive work, but also that, that kind of emotional side and actually making sure that we're paying attention to that as really you know, the other integrated element of education. Yeah, I think there's, I mean, if you just look at it for, almost from a stepladder perspective, yeah. um, on, the, on the bottom of the stepladder, you can just digitize a bunch of paperwork um, and uh, you know, not have to spend time there. Um, for example, through class notebooks. Um, so that's a great way to store all the information that you need for the classroom. You don't need to fill out each paper every time. They don't get lost. They don't get stuck on the bottom of the, the backpack. Um, and, but that's just kind of the most basic level. Then you can move further up and uh, think about how do you use collaboration tools um, in the classroom? Because not only does that help kids learn collaboration skills, um, it could also be more fun. It could also open up collaboration with individuals who have um, hearing and speech challenges. Yeah that you can collaborate on some tools, such as Teams or others, um, all of a sudden gives people a voice that might not have had a voice before. And there's you know, a lot of different examples around that. Um, and it, it gives more options. Uh, not every student is wired the same way. And so it gives students an option on how they want to communicate with others. Um, another example is um, video which you know, is a fantastic way to express yourself. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And uh, not everybody enjoys writing. Uh, not everybody enjoys just talking. And uh, there's a great tool out there called Flipgrid um, where basically you can uh, interact with each other differently. And the feedback we've been hearing from the teachers is that it opens up communication with students and among students uh, as well as the communication between student and teacher, um, that takes on a different form. And it takes on, it's a very creative outlet. Um, I just saw the other day a video from a group of students that would talk about the electrical circuits, um, but they composed it as a rap song. <laughs> and, you know, if you think about all of those, it opens up interdisciplinary ways. Um, it gives students more uh, ownership in what they produce, rather than just having to fill out a form uh, or you know circling boxes on a on a multiple choice test. So you know those are all technology tools that are there 
um, and that are helpful, but they need to be put into the hands of um, very capable teachers. Um, just putting technology in a classroom and hoping for the best um, has proven, just like in any other industry, uh, not to be a viable strategy. But you have to really put it together between what is the, uh, the educational outcome that you're trying to drive, and therefore, what are the best technologies that can help you get there. Um, and so I think that's where technologies just open up a lot of routes. Or if you look at, um, I think worldwide there's about 700 million people with dyslexia. And um, which is something that very often, you know, they're stigmatized, um, they're being picked on, um, they're different, and um, then they have to get some, you know, special education um, or special programs and things like that. When they're, as a matter of fact, their brains are just wired differently. It's not better, it's not worse, it's just different. And that's where, again, technology tools um, that allows um, people with dyslexia to just rearrange the text um, through push of a button, no extra software, nothing extra required. It's just there, and you can just choose to display the text differently than others. Other people increase the font size. Um, for them, it's important to declutter the page. Um, and, and I think that's where technology can just open up and really make a difference um, in, in a student's life. I mean, I think some of the accessibility and inclusion elements are almost some of the most exciting. And I mean, the, the other exciting thing is that by kind of designing and using these learning tools and, in, and making sure that every, every learner is getting a kind of a personalized approach, particularly if they have learning challenges, everybody does better, yeah. which is the amazing kind of aspect, right? Um, so it's not just supporting those students. Everyone seems to be able to accelerate really their engagement and their, their learning achievement as well based on some of these tools, which is fascinating. Um, what about a challenge? What do you think is in your work at a system level, what are some of the challenges that you see? I mean, is it funding? Is it mindset? Is it kind of established norms? Is it industry? Where, where do you think some of those big blockers are? from us being able to move and evolve education towards this idea where everyone's increasingly empowered, certainly empowered with their social and emotional skills and dispositions that they need. Blockers, challenges, what are you seeing? I think there's, there's certainly blockers on a system level um, where, I mean, in, as I said, in a lot of places, the teachers are just, have just so little flexibility and um, if we can find a way to be more, have more guiding principles rather than rigid um, curricula and have more trust in the teachers uh, on a system level to say um, they have the children's best interest in mind. Um, we don't need to uh, sort of straitjacket them with these rigid curricula. Um, but let's, uh, if, if I just compare that to work um, in, in the private sector where um, you know, you basically say, okay, th these are the goals that we have for the year, and then would I want to be receiving a prescribed way of getting there? Or, you know, do I enjoy the fact that um, it's like, all right, this is what I need to achieve, and I can define my own path of getting there, you know, within certain boundaries. And I think if, if you look at it that way to say, how can we... Um, put the education a bit more back into the hands of the individual teachers um, to do what's right for their classroom, 
give them guidelines, give them best practices, give them tools, but at the same time give them more freedom in how to assemble these things to drive the right outcome uh, for the students. On social emotional learning uh, specifically, have you got an example of where technology is really enabling that? I mean, obviously the idea of scale and access and uh, in a globalized world, being able to reach across cultures and across languages. Sure. I mean, there's there's many examples. Um, we talked about Flipgrid earlier um, by giving a more creative outlet um, to to what what kids can do. Um, once a year, we uh, run something called the Skypeathon, um, where um, of course the Skype technology is there all year round, not just once a year. <laughs> but it's a really great way to connect people across um, countries and borders and languages and cultures. And um, I went into a classroom a couple months ago where the teacher was using Skype to teach algebra. And at first you think, that's oh, a bit odd. Um, but what they did was that school had a partnership with uh, a school in Australia. And uh, in the US, um, temperature gets measured in Fahrenheit. And in Australia, temperature gets measured in Celsius. And of course, there's an algebraic formula to convert one from the other. And um, so what they did, they had this whole Skype set up. And in addition to talking about how do you measure temperature and how do you convert it, there was this richness of learning about other cultures because then they said, well, what actually does a day in the life of a student, of an eighth grader uh, in Australia look like? And so it sort of triggered this whole other set of learning. Um, and that's within two English-speaking uh, cultures. But you can also take that a step further um, because technology allows you to do translation uh, right then and there. And so you can also use these tools to communicate with uh, students or teachers from other countries that speak a different language because then you know, the technology translates it for you. And so you know, there's lots of examples on how um, one thing that we haven't touched on is sort of more immersive learning experiences, um, be it game-based learning or be it uh, mixed reality. Where um, we went, we did a, a program that's called Mission to Mars, and uh, I grew up in a time when you know everything you learned about Mars was from a textbook, and um, so we did this as a team um, together with our our mixed reality team, and it was fascinating because I literally thought that I was actually on Mars, and you know you could look around and find different things, and not only was it a more a deeper learning and a more engaged learning. We also did this as a team. Yeah. So again, there was collaboration to say, let's figure out this over here. And uh, it was a shared experience. And so, um, and the other one is, is, is game-based learning, um, where again, kids learn to problem solve, um, where you know, we have a program called Minecraft Education Edition, where um, you know, the kids can build pretty much anything in Minecraft to solve a problem, to solve a problem around, uh, you know, waterways. Um, and how do you problem solve around that? What do you need to build? How do you allocate your resources? And so there's, it, it can just help bring out the learning styles and preferred learning methodologies that fit each student. And every child learns differently. And so technology can just give a lot of different options and therefore give the students more choice and more voice and agency in their own learning. Yeah, I mean, there's something, there are so many great examples happening with technology. And, and the great line from, of course, the panel that you chaired here at, at the seminar uh, was that when you're using a technology tool right now, 
it's the worst that it's ever going to be. Right. And it's transformative now, and of course, it's only going to become more so, particularly with the cloud-based technologies, which can be completely. You know, right. And so that's that's pretty pretty amazing, right? But which is why it's so important for us to really stay connected to where the pedagogy and the educational journey is going so that we can then think about what are really the most impactful ways that technology can be there and help enable these things. Yeah, great. It was in everybody's interest to have that kind of... I've got two final questions for sure. you. The first is, what's the end goal? What's the end goal for for you, you know, personally, but also for Microsoft as an organisation? You know, the Class of 2030 report... In 11 years' time, if we're sitting back down having a conversation, where do you hope that we are? Yeah, I mean, the end goal is to, you know, to help um, students um, in their educational journey. I mean, it, it, it's as basic as that, um, because if you can do that, then all boats rise. Um, and that's where you can link it directly to uh, employability, um, which you know, can be defined in lots of different ways. And, um, and to give more people the option to that and to help have to, uh, technology help democratize uh, education and give more people access to education. Um, that's really what we're looking for. And uh, so, you know, it, it, it's constantly, it's a moving target. Sure, yeah. Um, but how, do, how can we make sure that we're really thinking about um, the ways that technology can have the most impact to, again, I go back to the mission, empower, you know, every student on the planet to achieve more um, and across generations. Final question. Um, lots of different information, particularly in the, the world of a school, you know, very dynamic and fascinating environments. What are your kind of your take-home messages for for people working in the educational ecosystem? What do you think are some of those key themes that are emerging that we need to be paying attention to? I mean, specifically on the social emotional learning side, I think you know, as as we said earlier, that topic is more amorphous. Uh, it has cultural overlays. Um, there's a lot of um, different routes we can take this to. Um, in terms of how can we have technology help um, drive that. Um, but it's somewhat you know, linked to the, the pedagogy around it um, evolving. But having sort of a seat at the table and being and participating in it early on, um, what I'm taking home from this is a lot of richness of the conversation to, uh, that I can also then bring back to our product teams to say, kind of here's... Not with the notion of you know we need to you know develop this specific feature, but to say here's here's where this journey is is going. Here's what I'm hearing. Here are some of the signals, and then to brainstorm with them to say should we should we go deeper on this or should we go deeper on this route, and then bring that back to the conversation. Barbara, it's been a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for uh, your continuing advocacy in this space as well. Thank you so much. A pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Learning Future podcast. To find out more about our work, drop into thelearningfuture.com and follow us at Learning Future on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Here's to building a world of thriving learners together.